0: Welcome, brethren. It's a privilege to be here again tonight in your presence and presence of brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm encouraged uh, about uh, the meeting. I tell you what, I appreciate the hospitality that's been shown to us in your prayers. We are humbled. We are grateful for all that you've done and and, uh, all that you're going to do. We look forward to more days with you here this week. We live in a world today where people feel Empty. Where people feel like there's a void in their life. And for a lot of people in this world, there should be a feeling of a void. Because there is a feeling of of something that's missing. Because there is something missing. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight. Helps to turn it on. A becoming field. I can tell you as a Christian tonight, when I'm in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ, like we are here on this Thursday night in Prairie Land, Texas, I feel filled. I feel like I'm exactly where I need to be because I'm in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are praising God. And there's no greater feeling that we have on this earth to be in the presence of his saints and of our father worshiping him. Because brethren, the good news is one day we're going to be doing a lot of that. And it's something to look forward to. And the the scripture that we're going to look at tonight here for just a few minutes, Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45, and it's a very unlikely scripture. The first time, the first several times I've read this passage, I really didn't get it, but I think there's a lot of power in what Jesus is trying to teach here. He's here, and he's going back and forth with these pesky Pharisees, and they've accused him of of things, and he's going back and forth. And this is what he says here in verse 43. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation." And so we see this story here that Jesus tells about this unclean spirit. Now it says there that this unclean spirit, it was inhabiting a body, but it left. It went out of the man, and there the the evil spirit, the unclean spirit, walked through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Now do not start feeling sympathy for the unclean spirit. I know you see him, he's walking out in the desert in a dry parts place. Don't feel sorry for him, okay? Okay. He's an unclean spirit. And it says that he he goes out and he wanders and he comes back to the place where he came out and he found, he found it there. The Bible says empty, swept, and garnished. And then he goes back out and he finds seven more unclean spirits, more wicked than he, and they come in and yeah. dwell in the place that he came out of. And the latter end was worse than the former. Now, Keegan, I'm sorry. You're just an easy target. Keegan's in a place. He's a a bad tenant. And Keegan makes a mess of it. And something happens and Keegan gets thrown out. And he's wandering. And he says, you know what, maybe I can go back to that place I came came out. So he goes back to that that place that he was renting before. And he sees that they've they've put new carpet down. They've painted the walls. It smells good again in there. Sorry, Keegan, I guess you stink. In this example, you don't really. But then he looks at this place that that it's just a vacant room, but it looks clean. And he goes back and he finds seven other of his rowdy friends, more rowdy than he. He says, come on, guys. Look at this place that we can go and destroy. And they they come in and they just, Keegan was bad by himself. Eight people in the room's even worse and they make a havoc of this place. What's he talking about here? He's talking about when we get rid of evil in our life, we get rid of sin in our life. It's not good enough that we sweep and garnish and empty ourselves because that leaves a void and something will fill that void. When we have sin in our life, bad habits, and we get rid of those things, Something has to fill the void. When I was, I guess before Amy and I were even dating, I had a problem with drinking. And I would do that often. And there were some people in Menville, Tennessee, that said, you know what? He's worth saving. And at least one night a week, it was usually a Friday or a Saturday night, they would have me over we would have a Bible study. Mark Parkhurst, Robin Parkhurst, Kevin Lee Reisner, and their boys. And we'd have a Bible study. And you know what? I'd go home after that. I wouldn't go to a bar. See, when we get bad things out of our life, they need to be replaced with good things. If we just get rid of bad habits and we don't feel the void, something's going to fill the void. And we need to make sure whatever that thing is that fills that void is a good thing, is a holy thing, is something worth having in our life. I'm going to tell you the nature of an unclean spirit. I'm going to tell you the nature of the devil. The devil's always a bad tenant. And the devil should always be an unwelcome guest in our life. We talked a little bit about the nature of God last night and the nature of, of Satan. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5 verse 1, And they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had often uh, bound with feathers and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. You know what the nature of evil is? The nature of evil wants to grab a hold of you and I, wants to grab the hold of our family and our friends and our children and it doesn't want to let go. And you see there in verse five, and always night and day. And always night and day, he was causing havoc because that's the nature of evil. It never stops. You think the Satan You think Satan takes breaks? You take these unclean spirits, take vacations? The nature of evil is that it's always working. Therefore, the church always has to be working. Brethren, we don't have time to take off. We don't have time to have a respite from the work of God. We must always be diligent because evil is always diligent and we have to continue to fight and not give up ground. That's the nature of evil. But the nature of the church is that we fight on. We never give up until the end. I want you to think about God's people and these people that these Pharisees that Jesus was trying to argue with or they were trying to argue with him. He was trying to give them truth. In 2 Kings chapter 17, Bear with me, this is a few verses. Verse six, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala in, um, and in Habor by the river of Gozan in the city of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. and The children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God and they built them high places in all their cities from the tower of the watchman to the fit city and they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree and there were burnt incense in all the high places and did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger for they served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, in which I sent to you by servants the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God, and they rejected His statutes and His covenants that He made with their fathers, and His testimonies which He testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain, and went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served. Baal. And they caused their son and their daughters to pass through the fire and use divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord and to provoke him to anger. The children of Israel had some wicked times, didn't they, brethren? This God that had led them out of Egypt, their fathers out of Egypt, they turned away and they did the exact opposite of everything God had told them to do. God said, worship me, they worship Baal. God said, practice self-control. They let everything loose. They were sinning against God. They were provoking him to anger. Now these were the children of Israel in the Old Testament. I want to think about the sins of these Pharisees. These Pharisees that he was arguing with here in Matthew 12, they had sins. They had sins of pride, vanity, self-righteousness, self-elevation, jealousy, Outward holiness, covetousness—these things they did in the name of God. I'll give the the children of Israel credit for one thing tonight: when they rebelled, they rebelled. These Pharisees—they were practicing ungodly things, but they were doing it in the name of God. They were doing it for their own holiness. So people would look at them and glorify them for their works and for their deeds. Luke chapter six, verse fourteen, the Bible says, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him, and they said to him, Ye are they which just, uh, excuse me, and he said to them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. He said, You do all these things before men, but brethren, and hey, we're talking to the church tonight. No matter what you look like on the outside, God knows your heart. These Pharisees, they weren't fooling anybody that mattered. God knew what they were up to, God could see those things. They were empty. Matthew 23, verse 25, the Bible says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou, bound, uh, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are all like to whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I want you to go back and think about that first scripture we read tonight, Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. This unclean spirit had gone out. And this man, no doubt this man was relieved that this unclean spirit had left him. And inside this man, it was swept, it was empty, it was garnished. But that's it. There was nothing else. It was empty. And that emptiness, that void allowed those evil spirits to come back in. He says to these Pharisees, on the outside you look clean. But you're really empty on the inside. He actually tells these Pharisees something worse than that. He said, On outside you look pretty, you look beautiful sepulchers, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You stink. You're putrid. And I'm not satisfied with outward appearances. Jesus is not satisfied with outward appearances, brethren. He wants your heart. And we find that when we put God in our heart, we put the Lord in our heart and he truly abode, abides there. You know what happens? He comes out. He comes and you can see it. He makes evidence. Our faith produces works. When we get it right on the inside, it comes out outside. But yet men to—they try to get the outside right. They try to look right. It doesn't matter if you look right. You've got to have the inside right. That's what God sees. That's what matters. That's what changes people. Don't be like these hypocrites. Don't try to get it right. Don't try to put on a show. I tell you what, there may be the best actors in the world inside the church and instead of Hollywood. You know how I know that? Because I faked it before. Because I have, I've never taken acting classes, Laddie. But you know what? I've done a good job in times past where I look good on the outside, but inside it was rotten. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had that experience? I'd say if we're honest with ourselves, we have times. that we cared more about the exterior, more than the interior. And that's not pleasing to God, brethren. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we'd been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witness unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents. Ye generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Whereof behold I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them ye shall kill and crucify and some of them ye shall scourge in the synagogues and persecute from city to city. He said you say, you say that if you had lived back in the day that you wouldn't have done those things to the prophets. Who was it that was always after Jesus? Who always hated Jesus? These scribes and Pharisees. They couldn't stand that this man talked with such authority, with such power. Why? Because it took the attention off them. It didn't make them look good on the outside, and that's what it was about for the Pharisee: was the show. It's not good that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel and to the blood of Zacharias son of Barachias whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. He said, you're empty. Jesus here takes on many forms in the New Testament. He he comes to us as a bridegroom. He comes to us as a brother. And in this situation here, this scripture, it talks to us from a mother's perspective as a hen. Don't you know that all I wanted to do was surround you and protect you? you? Don't all you know I wanted to love you and give you salvation? But you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have me do that. And their ladder is worse than the former. Our ladder, if we have that kind of attitude, is worse than the former, brethren. Galatians 4 9, but now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You see, brethren, when we turn away from the Lord after receiving him, when we receive him, we're redeemed. Redeemed. We are freed. We had been under the bondage of sin and Jesus unlocked the door and let us out. Why in this world would we say, I want to go back to the bondage of sin? That doesn't make any sense. But yet when we want to live a life that's unholy, when we want to live a life that's all about us, when we want to live a life about the exterior, all we're asking to do is go back to prison back to the hell that we started in, back to a place of feeling empty and hopeless, brethren, that ought not to be so. We leave those places, and that's not not turned back. The Israelites were in Egyptian bondage, (coughs) and they said, oh, it was fun back then. Don't you remember all the garlic and all the melons that we had back then? Oh, don't you remember that you were in heavily slave labor making bricks to build their their buildings? Don't you remember that? Don't you remember how hard it was? Don't you remember how hard the taskmaster was? Now, we need to be forgiven of our sins, brethren, but we don't need to forget how awful it was back then when we were without hope. God never calls us to forget It's impossible for man to forget on purpose. Remember what it was like to be hopeless. Not to to have a pity party, but that you appreciate where you're at now. If you're a Christian here today, you're free. You're free. God has given you license and liberty to choose and to change and to work in his kingdom. Don't go back to that junk. Leave it where it was in the past. 2 Peter 2 and 17, the Bible says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever, who when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is brought. He, is, is he brought into bondage. For if after that you escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, and the latter is worse than them than the beginning. it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb the dog is turned to his own vomit and again the sow that was washed or walling in the mire that's sick that the dog goes back to its own vomit that's sick dog ain't got no good sense dog ain't anything Our dog eat anything. Pigs. You know what they want to do? They want to be dirty. You clean up a hog, take it to the county fair, take it back home to the farm, it jumps right back in the mud pile. That's not how God intended for his children to live, to go back to the vomit, to go back to the mud. Brethren, he says it's worse. If we come to this knowledge of Jesus Christ, then we return back to those things. Shame on us if we do such things as turn back to the evil that was in our life, the evil that put us back into that put us into bondage in the first place. But today we serve a God that doesn't want us to be empty. He doesn't want just an empty room that's swept and that garnished that's got new carpet and new paint on the walls. That's not what God desires from His people. God wants us to be filled. God wants us to be full. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, the Bible says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. You know, the Lord wants to give us things that money can't buy. He says, I don't care what you have. It's not about you. It's not about what you have. It's about what I have. He says, come and eat. Come and drink. Come and partake of me. And the things that I give you will satisfy that you may eat which is good. He wants to give us good things. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. The things that God has for us is not just a feeble thing, but it's things that sustain us. That give us more than enough. He wants to multiply blessings on his people so that they have the things that they need. That's the God that we serve tonight. He's a God that wants to satisfy and fulfill his people. He doesn't want a starving people. He wants a people that's full. He wants full wants us full of blessing, brethren. Malachi 3 and 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall be no room enough to receive it. God wants to put blessing in our lives. This is not a health and wealth doc- doctrine. This is the doctrine of a loving father that he wants to take you and I, and he wants to give you things, and he wants to give you things where you just don't have any place to put anymore of the good things that he has to give. He doesn't want you to feel like you've run out of blessing because he's a good father. You know, he's the best father. I think I know what to give my kids, but sometimes I don't know what's best for my kids. But my heavenly father, he knows what's best for me. He knows what I need better than I do. He knows how to sustain me. He knows, He looks down the road and he sees things that I'm going to need preparation for and he's giving me those things. He gives me blessing. He wants my joy to be full, brethren, that these things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Brethren, Christians ought not to be a depressed kind of people. If you're being depressed in this world, I know there's clinical things that happen in this life, but Christians ought not to go around with a frown on their face all the time. Brethren, we ought to be the happiest people in the world that our joy be full. What can the world give us that our God can't overcome? We should have joy and gladness. And you know another reason why we need to be joyful and glad as Christians and members of his body? Because we need other people to see that. Oh, we live in a dark world. But God has called us to be light in this dark world. Not that we would receive the glorification, but that he would. That we would do those good works and people would glorify God because of what they see in us. We ought to be joyful people, brethren. When you you come here on a Thursday night, it shouldn't be, "Ah." we're going to church again. We're having church half the week this week. No, I want to come and worship God. I want to see my brethren. I want to see the only people in this world that really, truly care about me. They prefer me over others. Why? Because they're trying to get me to heaven. We should have joy to be in the presence of God's people. It should be a joy to us. It should be a joy that we have the opportunity to come together in a collective to sing songs to his name. I'm thankful because I'm not that great a singer. When I sing in the van by myself like I did coming across Houston yesterday or this this afternoon, like, man, this don't sound real good. But tonight I get to come in a collective of people and my voice blends with your good voices and we praise God with it. It's a joy to be in his presence and to be in the presence of his people. And he wants you to be full of joy that it it overfills and others see it. God wants to be full of wisdom. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know what's so great about the scriptures? It doesn't omit anything. You know, everything that God has for you as as Christians that walk in this life, God has put in that book that you would understand. He's spoken it to you so that you would know it would be cruel for our God to omit certain things that would help us in this life. And he lays down the New Testament. He tells us how he wants the New Testament church. Do you think those things are just by happenstance? Do you think God writes things how we ought to praise him and how we ought to worship just because that was a good idea that day God has designed his church he has organized his church in a way that it would function in a way that it would be most profitable and most pleasing to him man tries to take ideas they say you know what I think I've got a better idea of how to worship it's not good enough Brethren, I don't have an idea, you don't have an idea that can be better than what God has designed for his kingdom. Therefore, we ought not try to be changing it. God said, do it this way, you don't have a better way. Why? Because God wanted you to have all wisdom and spiritual understanding. God has put things in place for your benefit so that you would know. He doesn't want any questions about who he is. He doesn't want any questions about how much he loves. He doesn't want any questions about how holy he is and how we ought to submit ourselves to him. And all the things of the scripture paint that picture that we can honor him. There's not a situation in life that cannot be overcome through his word because he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and he's not held anything back, brethren. You know, the problem with the scripture is that we're not in it enough, that we're not listening enough. I have to say my children's names sometimes three times to get their attention. I can't imagine how God feels when he, he lays it out and He tells me exactly what I want to, what I need to hear, and I don't listen. It must be frustrating for the Father to see my ignorance sometimes. Because God wants to tell us all things that a man or woman needs. We ought to listen. He wants us to be full of Him. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17, the Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is in the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Brethren, being a part of his creation, the part of creation that was created in his image, God wants to fill his people. He wants to be a part of you and I. And that's a humbling thought tonight because I think of who I am and what I really am. And I tell you what, brethren, I am nothing. I am nothing. I am broken. I am worthless outside of him. If I have any value, it's come from him. If I have any worth, it's come from him. And it blows my mind. I can't comprehend why God would want to be inside of me, but he does. He loves me because I was created for him. And you, brethren, were created for him. And if we don't live a life that glorifies glorifies him, we are missing our purpose in life. We're taking our life and saying, you know what, this is my life, God. I'm just going to live it my way. I'm going to do it for my glory. And that's not the purpose that you were created for. And you miss out on all the blessing. And you miss out on all the joy. You miss out on all the knowledge and the peace that he has. You miss out on forgiveness. You miss out on redemption. God wants to be in us. And he wants us to be full of him. He gives us his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11 verse 19. Let's talk about uh, Barnabas for a minute. And now they which were scattered abroad into the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they had come to Antioch, spake unto the Greeks and the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which is in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Who, when he came, he had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Barnabas didn't go for his own glory, did he? He went for the help of the people that they would learn Jesus, that they would cleave unto him, that they would stay with him. And the Bible simply says, For he was a good man. And he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Rather, we should strive to be like a Barnabas tonight. I hope the Bible records, if the Bible's not going to record me, but I hope the, the book of life records me. He was a good man. How do you be a good man or a good woman? You serve God. You put him first. He was full of his Holy Spirit. You know what? You and I are full of his Holy Spirit tonight when we're baptized into Christ and we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, he puts a part of him inside of me and of faith. I hope we're people of faith tonight that we trust not in the things that we see, but we trust in the things that we can't see. That we trust in a God and we believe his word. We believe his command and we obey that command. And we're faithful to that command. We receive his grace. And God fills his temple, and 1 Kings, going back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10, the Bible says that it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick of darkness, I have surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide forever. They built the temple, and do you know what happened? God came down, and his glory filled the temple. His glory filled the temple. Every nook, every cranny, a thick cloud came into the temple, so much as the priests couldn't minister, so they had to be pushed out. God filled the temple. Solomon says I built the house I built a house for the Lord. Solomon you may have built it, but God filled it. God filled it with his glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18 the Bible says flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God filled the temple in the Old Testament. His glory filled the temple. Do you know what he wants to do today? He wants to fill the temple. Your body is the temple. And God wants to fill it. He wants his glory to fill your temple. Because it's his. Because he gave it. And he wants to dwell there, brethren. Does he want 50% of it? Does he want 90% of it? Does he want 99% of it? That'd be coming short. Brethren, he wants it all. When he came into the temple in the Old Testament, he filled the temple. He wants to fill your temple and he wants to fill it completely, brethren. So if there's things in our life that ought not to be there, it's time to get those things out so the glory of God can continue to fill our temple. If there's some little pet sin that's laying around that's keeping God from it coming in and filling the entire temple, it ought not to be there. And we ought to cut it out so God can fill the temple because it's his. Because that's the purpose of your life, for God to fill you, his glory to fill you. And that you go out and you tell others about the glory of God and what he's done for you and how he's changed you and how he's freed you from your sins. And if he's coming up short, It's time to change. God gets what he wants. God's not beholden to you, brethren. He's not beholden to me. God's going to have his way. So it's time for us to get out of the way and let him come in and fill it. Our last scripture tonight, brethren, be this. I'll leave you here. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, where have you heard of it, that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's not good enough, brethren, for for us to to get rid of our sin, to, to get this unclean spirit off of us, and then be left with this empty, swept, and garnished place. What happens when we don't fill the void? Well, sin comes back in. What ought we do when we get rid of that unclean spirit? We ought to fill it up where that spirit has no more place to dwell. He can't call to his seven friends and come in and and trash the place anymore. I'm tired of the devil trashing my life, aren't you? It's time to fill ourselves with God. It's time to be filled with God. Let his glory fill our temple. Let it show and let it shine to the outside world that others would see what God has done in us. That he would be glorified in it. If you're sitting here tonight, brethren, and you feel yourself empty, we will tell you there's a problem tonight. You don't have to feel empty. If you feel like there's a void tonight, brethren, you ought not to feel a void. But we know through the scripture what's missing. And it's our God. you look at your life and say you know what I don't feel full come and get full come experience the Lord go out and live your life with satisfaction knowing that there's something inside you that fills you and sustains you don't go through this life feeling empty don't go through this life feeling lonely but come to him and let him feel let him have his way with you brother." If there's sin in your life, get it out. There's no room for sin in your life, not when God fills his temple. If you want to come to the Lord, you want to pray to him tonight. You want to pray with his church. There's a church that wants to pray with you because they don't want you leaving this place tonight feeling empty and void. I tell you what, if you're wandering around, you haven't become a Christian yet, you need Jesus Christ. You look at your life, I look at my life, and sometimes I've seen shambles. I've seen rottenness. I've seen brokenness. But it's only through Jesus that you can find satisfaction. Because Jesus satisfies. You know the problem with alcohol? You go out, you drink alcohol, you get drunk. The next morning you wake up, you're not drunk anymore. You know why? Because alcohol can't satisfy. That's why it's an, they call them alcoholics, because they do it again. They have to get drunk again, and then they sober up again. And you keep pouring in and pouring in and pouring in and you never find satisfaction. Is there any wonder? Because sin doesn't satisfy. You can look at any sin we can name off tonight and I'll promise you, you'll find that it does not satisfy. That it has to be repeated over and over and over again. And people try to find satisfaction in those things. But Jesus Christ, when you're baptized into Christ knowing that Jesus takes away the sin... And all the sins that come, we repent of those sins and it keeps washing away, washing away, washing away. I'm going to tell you what, coming to the Lord satisfies. And it's the only thing that can satisfy and bring true satisfaction to man. So I want you to come and be satisfied tonight. I want you to come and let Jesus satisfy the debt of your sin by washing it away. And letting him him have his way. And let God fill your temple. If you have a need, brethren, make it known. Come to the front as we stand and sing.